0: Good morning. We are continuing in our series through the spiritual gifts. And uh, today we're starting a kind of like a mini series, actually of two weeks, on the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy. So, uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And while you're turning there, uh, I wanted to give you a little bit of data. Barna Research, which is a, a well-known, well-respected um, um, religious research firm that's uh, polling Christianity, other religions, and, and seeking to understand what's going on in the church, uh, ha- recently had a poll regarding spiritual gifts. And here's the stat. 81% of practicing Christians believe that God has given them certain gifts and talents to use for his glory 81% so look down the row if you got 10 people on the row 8 of you believe that here's the second half of the stat but only 52% feel like they are aware of what those specific gifts and talents are And as a leadership team, Dennis and I were thinking about how how appropriate that we're doing a series on spiritual gifts. If eight out of ten believers believe, yes, I am gifted, I have talents and abilities God has given me to use for his glory and for the kingdom, and only half of the church actually understands what those are in their specific life. So I want to encourage us today with a specific gift and I'm going I'm to make some bold statements about it, but based in Scripture, if you're here and you don't know what your gift is, let me just submit something to you. Paul has said, and the Scriptures say, we are to earnestly desire and pursue gifts. And if you're going to pursue one, if you had to pick If you were going to say, I'm going to go after this one above them all, or if you're a part of 50% of the church that goes, I don't know what my gift is, the Bible actually says you should pursue one gift specifically and above all others. So if you're in the room right now and you don't know what your gift is, I wanna submit to you that you pursue this specific gift because that's what the Bible tells you to do. Now don't ignore what God may be doing otherwise. But I want to encourage you this morning There is at least one gift That we are commanded to pursue Above all others And it is the gift of prophecy Now as soon as I say that word A lot of things start entering the brain So you're talking about Old Testament prophets You're talking about doomsday prophets That say when the world is coming to an end What's he talking about? Well, that's the goal of this message this morning. It's a two-part message. Today, we're looking at the biblical foundation for the gift of prophecy. What, what is this thing in the new covenant? And then next week, we're going to look at prophecy in practice. What, what would this actually look like? How would we pursue this as individuals in the church? So biblical foundation today, next week, we will look at prophecy in practice. As a reminder of the theme verse for this series, it's 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, which I'll be tackling today. Paul says, two imperative commands. Number one, pursue love. And number two, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Goals of the series, we want to lay biblical foundation for the use of the gifts at MCC. We want to empower MCC to fan into flame. That's Paul's language To Timothy to fan into flame her gifts as a church to encourage MCC to earnestly desire more gifts and to release MCC members to use their gifts for building up the church and advancing the gospel and apparently statistically speaking only half of you know what your gifts are so we've got some work to do right all right let's jump into the text because i got a lot of work to do here this morning. The message is in three parts. Number one is a reminder of contexts for the gift of prophecy, specifically a reminder of contexts. Two, we're going to do eight truths about prophecy that are found in chapter 14, and then we're going to look at how do we apply this. That sound good? All right, let me pray for us, and then we'll go after the text. Father, we give you this time, and Jesus, we honor you. Thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you for your life, death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf, in our place, as our substitute, so that we have access to the Father. We thank you for the unspeakable grace that is found in you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, you are the presence of the Father and the Son here. I ask that you will come. You will teach, you will remind, you will encourage, you will challenge, you will exhort your people here this morning. So we give you this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, part one, reminder of context and contexts. There are two contexts that I want to just briefly walk through. Number 1 is the global context, that's the biblical theological context for prophecy. There's a thread, and I've talked about this in previous message, but I just want to remind us of this. There's a biblical theological context for prophecy. And then secondly, there's a local context in a church in Corinth that Paul is specifically talking to a specific church, and so we want to examine that context as well. So two contexts just as a reminder. And then that will help us as we go into the text. So first, the global biblical theological context for prophecy is this. Prophecy is linked to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy is linked. It is connected to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We see this the first time that the word prophecy is used to prophesy. The verb to prophesy is in Numbers chapter 11. Now, people are called prophets earlier. Abraham is called a prophet. Others are called prophets. But the first time that the verb to prophesy is used is Numbers chapter 11. And in this story, Moses is told by Yahweh. God says to Moses, listen, I want you to appoint 70 elders to help you in this ministry of leading my people. And he says something very specifically to him. He says, gather for me 70 men of the elders, and I will come down, this is God speaking, I will come down and I will talk with you there, this is the tent of meeting, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you, Moses, and I will put it on these 70. That's what he says. I will take some of the spirit that's on you, I will put it on these 70, and they will bear the burden of the people with you so that you will not bear it alone. Later in that chapter, so Moses went out And he gathered these elders And he told the people what was going to happen He gathered the 70 men of the elders The Lord came down in the cloud Symbolizing the presence of God The Shekinah glory, came down in the cloud And placed them in the tent Then the Lord came down and spoke to him Took some of the spirit that was on him That is Moses, he put it on the 70 elders And this is what the Bible says And as soon as the spirit Rested on them, they prophesied That's the first instance of the verb to prophesy in the Bible. So God says, I'm going to take some of the Spirit that's on you, Moses. I'm going to put it on these 70. The Bible says as soon as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. Now, it's funny. Later we find out that there were two dudes that weren't at roll call. There were two of the 70 that didn't show up. They were actually back in their tent. And the Bible says this. This is still the same chapter. They had not gone out to the tent. This is Eldad and Medad. So a young man comes to Moses and Says hey Eldad and Medad Didn't come out Moses <laughs> But they're prophesying Because when the spirit Rested on the 68 It also rested He also rested on the two In their camp And they prophesied as well That's what the Bible says So Joshua the son of Nun The associate pastor Comes up to Moses He says Moses Stop them Moses said to him Are you jealous for my sake Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. And then he quantifies that, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. So Moses and the elders returned to the camp. Isn't that an interesting statement by Moses? So why are you jealous that these other people are prophesying and have the Spirit on them? I wish that everybody had the Spirit on them. I wish that everybody could experience face-to-face fellowship with the creator of the universe. Moses, I wish everybody would have the Spirit, and I wish they would all prophesy. That's the first instance of prophecy. They say, well, that's great, Jamie. I mean, that's Moses. This is, you know, that's, that's a whole other thing. Well, then there's a prophetic promise that comes in Joel chapter 2. Joel, looking forward to something that's coming, to this new covenant, he writes this, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Tied to, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. Moses was looking ahead to something that was coming where there was a liberal distribution of the Spirit of God and he saw it as I wish they would all prophesy. Then Joel says, there's coming a day I'm going to pour out my Spirit. Young men, old men, young women, old women are going to be able to prophesy because the Spirit will be poured out on them. That's what the text says. Then we have the fulfillment at Pentecost. This is Acts 2, verse 17 to 18. The Spirit is poured out, the church is birthed people are going, what is going on here? Peter stands up and says, what's happened here is a fulfillment of what Joel said that I just read in Joel chapter 2. And look what he adds at the end. In the last days, this is almost verbatim, in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Where that's where Joel ends. And then Peter just adds on to it. Everybody read it together. And they shall prophesy. Are y'all seeing the text? I just wanna wanna make sure that we're, we're grounded in what the word says. A benefit of the new covenant is the indwelling presence of God himself, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. God is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. A benefit of the life of grace, by grace through faith in Christ on the cross. The benefit is the indwelling presence of God. And that comes with it, the ability to hear God and prophesy. So let's look at the local context. Let's look at the Corinthian context. So we have Corinth, we have a church in Corinth, Paul is writing now to this church A couple of things that you need to know about this church This church is young They are immature They are doctrinally heretical Especially when they're thinking about the resurrection of the dead They are highly gifted One of the most supernaturally gifted churches that we know about Based off of the texts of the canon highly gifted, and also highly abusive towards one another and prone to excess (laughs) in their community. And we know from context of chapter 14 that some of that has to do with the gift of tongues. We're going to get to it in a second. So follow me. Paul is talking to a church that's young, immature, theologically in error, highly gifted, and abusing one another, probably abusing the gift of prophecy, probably abusing the gift of tongues. And what does Paul say to this young, immature church? Does he say, listen, stop abusing one another. Stop being prone to excess. Let's just back away from this whole spiritual gift thing. Let's just, let's stop doing that. Let's, let's be cautious. Let's be safe. Right, let's just back off of all this stuff. Is that what Paul says? Paul says, pursue love and earnestly. He tells a church that was using gifts probably more than any other church and abusing one another, pursue these gifts more. Just do it in love. That's 1 Corinthians 13, which is what Dennis talked about last week. Do it in the context of love. Be mature. If you're going to prophesy, prophesy in love. But pursue these gifts. So, chapter 12, he says, gifts are varied and good. Chapter 13, you should use these in love. Don't abuse one another. And then chapter 14, here's an example of what mature gifts, what it would look like, and he uses the example of prophecy and tongues. So that's where we jump into the text. So let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to read this chapter, and I, I'm acknowledging the fact that Dennis is, going to, um, Dennis is going to look at the tongues piece in two weeks. So I'll say some here, but um, I won't, I'm not going to address it. I don't want to steal his thunder In two weeks. But it's hard because he's talking about prophecy and tongues together. So, anyway. All right, 1 Corinthians 14. To this immature, arrogant, gifted church, Paul writes Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. One who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret that tongue. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Do you notice all this language of built up? I said it like six times already. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now that's funny for the author of the book of Romans, one of the greatest theological minds ever. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others, than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for the believer, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together And you all speak in tongues And outsiders or unbelievers enters Will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy Everybody say all prophesy But if all prophesy Just want to make sure that we're seeing the text. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for, guess what? building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy. Somebody say, all prophesy. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn, and all be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are permitted not to speak, they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. That verse is really important. Let me read it again. Verse 37. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues but all things should be done decently and in order so that's the text i'm obviously not going to address all of this and some of you may be asking he just read a text that says something about women yes we will address that we will address that okay so eight things about prophecy and i'm going to move through these pretty quickly Eight things about prophecy in this text from Paul. Number one, pursuing prophecy is mandatory. Verse one, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The verb to earnestly desire, to zealously seek for, to intentionally pursue, that is an imperative command in the Greek. It is a command of Scripture for us to pursue spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Pursuing prophecy is mandatory according to scripture pursue prophecy in chapter 12 verse 31 Paul says earnestly desire the higher gifts that's verse 31 of chapter 12 earnestly desire the higher gifts I will show you a still more excellent way and he goes through this exposition of love and he comes right back with uh, verse 1 of chapter 14 pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts Commanded. That's also an imperative command at the end of chapter 12. And at the end of chapter 14, verse 39, that's why I read the entire chapter. Verse 39, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. That is an imperative command. Now, some people say, well, Jamie, that's a plural command. He's talking generally to a church. It's in the plural. We can't expect that we're going to have that binding to us as individuals, right? Because it's plural. He's talking to a group of people. It's true. It is in the plural. Problem is, of what Paul writes is in the plural 98% of the commands that Paul writes are in the plural Including the fact that jesus said go therefore and make disciples. That's an imperative command Make disciples is in the plural because he's talking to a group of people. Does that make sense what i'm saying? So the fact that it's in the plural and he's talking to a group of people doesn't excuse the fact that that's for us individually I can't say well. He said go make disciples to a big group But that wasn't a singular verb for me. That was for the group So I'm not going to do it. That's a game. (laughs) That's just a game. Pursuing prophecy is mandatory. Sam Storms, who I've recommended his book, Understanding Spiritual Gifts, I highly recommend that you pick it up and read it, wrote this. This is Sam talking. This isn't Jamie, so don't get mad at Jamie. Okay. This is Sam. I love Sam. Oklahoma City, Bridgeway Church. Sam writes this. If you are not earnestly desiring to prophesy... If you are not praying For opportunity and occasion to speak Prophetically into the lives of the church and other believers You are disobeying God The pursuit of prophecy is a Moral and spiritual obligation To which we must devote ourselves That's samstorms At bridgewaychurch.org Okay, you can email him about that That's a joke Okay, so the first is Mandatory to pursue prophecy, number two Prophecy is not primarily about predicting The future, but about building up the church. There is a, some confusion with the word prophecy. A lot of people think, oh, that's, that's tied to doomsday end times event. In fact, I've been, when I first heard the word prophecy, I was thinking about those people. Preppers. No, no offense to preppers, but you know what I'm saying. Like people are prepping and they're thinking about the end times and they're, they're hearing from God like, he's, com- he's coming back on December blah blah blah, 19 blah blah blah. And I'm like, what, is, what, is, what are you doing? Let me just say to you, The New Testament gift of prophecy is not primarily about predicting future events, but about building the church. It's in the text. Look at verse three. The one who prophesies speaks to build people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Paul is telling us what the gift of prophecy is for. It is for building up the church. Those verbs there are to strengthen, to bring something to completion, to encourage, to support, to comfort, to console. Paul does not say in this text the gift of prophecy is for doomsday events and for judging and for condemning. He says this gift is for upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. I'm bringing this out because there is a great value to this gift. Have you noticed in our culture, and let me be more specific. Have you noticed in church culture that there is an awful lot of words that are spoken to tear down and to divide based on political affiliation, based on various worldviews and ideologies? Isn't it interesting That for many, there is confusion about the gift of prophecy, which is a gift for the church to build up and to encourage. It's words spoken that build up and encourage and comfort and console the very things that we are to be doing to and with one another. And yet, the enemy has convinced us prophecy is scary, don't do it. And how about you promote your political ideology more than Jesus? And we tear with our words. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) If the worst thing that happens from a sermon like this is we pursue speaking words that build one another up, that's a win. (laughs) Because we've spent so much time tearing one another down. Oh, you voted what? Oh, you're not wearing the... mm. Oh, you decided to jab? Oh! How could you? How could you? You see, we're, we're, we're using all kinds of words with each other, just not the prophetic kind that build one another up. Can you see why Paul is promoting this gift? <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I think if the church really took seriously hearing what God is saying and speaking words that build one another up, it would change our city. Thirdly, ordinary people <clears throat> can prophesy. I've approached this, I've really spent time already talking about that, looking at the biblical narrative. But I brought it up a couple of times. Remember verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever enters. And he says later in verse 31, but you can all prophesy one by one. Ordinary people can prophesy. That's all I'm gonna say about that. If you have the spirit of God within you, you can prophesy. Fourthly, not everyone is a prophet. <clears throat> and not everyone has the gift of prophecy. But all can prophesy. We, we saw this last, uh, last week or two weeks ago. Dennis was preaching on this. In chapter 12, Paul uses a rhetorical device. And it is clearly a rhetorical device meant to uh, encourage a negative response. So look at verse 29. Paul says, are all prophets, and he's using a grammatical Rhetorical device that is saying All aren't prophets Are they? And the answer is no that, That's the point of what he's saying Because he's encouraging us As a body to, to remember that we need Each other we, we don't all have the same gift, we all don't have the same Ministry, we need each other to function as a body So he says, are all prophets? Of course not Are all teachers? No Do all work miracles? No Do, do all possess gifts of healing? No Do all speak with tongues? No Do all interpret? No but earnestly desire the higher gifts. So it's clear, not all people are prophets, and not all people have the gift of prophecy. Now you may say, well, that doesn't that square. That, that doesn't make sense, Jamie. How could you prophesy and not have the gift of prophecy? Or, how could you prophesy and not be a prophet? That, those don't seem to jive or make sense. Well, I think about it this way. One, we have the biblical narrative that's talking about when the f- Spirit is poured out, you all prophesy. <laughs> but also, If we think about other gifts, like let's say the gift of serving. If I say, you know what, I don't have the gift of serving, I'm not gonna serve in my church. It's not my gift. Not my gift. I don't have the gift of giving. (laughs) So you better believe I'm not giving, because I don't have the gift. Of giving, no. Listen, listen. Great Commission—that's one thing. It's in the plural, and it's the Great Commission. So I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't have that gift. No one laid hands. I don't have that gift. So I'm not going to share the gospel. Are y'all seeing? Are you seeing the logic here? So all may prophesy, but not everyone has the gift of prophecy. And you say, well, what's the difference? Well. I would say that someone who has the gift of prophecy is someone that is functioning at a level where we can all prophesy, but there's some people who are gifted in such a way that when they begin to prophesy, the Lord is really there with them. Just, just like when you have someone who has the gift of serving, you're like, dude, that's something supernatural. There's a manifestation of the Spirit happening right here with this person who's serving. And then a prophet is speaking at some sort of congregationally acknowledged position or some sort of something where people are saying, this person is a prophet, they have the gift of prophecy, and they have function in such a way that we as a congregation and elders are saying, this person is functioning as a prophet in our midst. So I I would see distinctions there. All may prophesy, some have the gift of prophecy, and then some are actual prophets. Does that make sense? There's a lot of questions there, but we'll have to get to them later. I need to keep moving. Okay, which one am I on? Fifth, Prophecy comes by a revelation from God. Verse 30 of chapter 14. Paul writes, If a revelation is made to one sitting there, let the first be silent. So he's talking about prophecy. He's talking about order in the church. Verse 29 says, Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that you can learn. So, prophecy is the way Peter's describing it Peter, Paul is describing it is that we're, we're sitting in a congregation probably some sort of small house group group in Corinth we're sitting and the Lord drops something, a revelation into the mind of one of the individuals sitting there that, that's, how, that's the initiation, something is about to happen that's prophetic, is that God actually drops it into the mind, a revelation comes drops into the mind of one of the folks that is there and the person begins to speak now prophecy is three parts to it one revelation we'll get to this more next week revelation so god brings something to mind Two, interpretation which is what is that thing that just dropped in my mind what does that mean i don't know that you know you're trying to interpret what's what's in your mind that the lord has brought to your mind and then application which is what do i do with this what do i say about this by the way that's true of scripture too did you know that we have the scriptures. We come to it, and we need to interpret what it says, and we need to apply it. So there's some, there's some sort of understanding of, God brings some sort of revelation to my mind, then I'm interpreting what this is, and then I'm applying it. That's what prophecy is. Now, some of you are about to get really nervous because of something I said, and I'm about, I'm about to answer it. But let me define prophecy. Prophecy is a human report of something God has brought to mind. That's Wayne Grudem's definition. A human report of something that God has brought to mind. Human report of something God has brought to mind. Because some of you right now are saying, Jamie, you start talking about revelation, you start talking about scripture as revelation, that makes, that makes me a little nervous, because it sounds like what you're saying, is that when God speaks something, that is authoritative, just like scripture. Let me assure you, it is not authoritative (laughs) for our lives. And that's one of the really interesting things that happens with prophecy is that people who are gifted in this area will begin to say things like, thus saith the Lord, and God has said, and implying that if we don't obey what they're saying, that somehow we are disobeying God. Let me tell you right now, that is not the gift of prophecy. That is an abuse And I'll show it to you in the text. Yeah. It's in the text. And let me just say one other thing. Because <laughs> The reason I, I bring up these objections is because I feel them. I grew up in a cessationist, word-based group, so I feel these objections. I can feel them on me. <laughs> and there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a part, because I've heard this, stuff. I've heard prophetic people being like, this is what God says, and it's almost like you can't, you can't test it, you can't challenge it, you can't question it and that drives me I mean I can feel the because that is not biblical prophecy because revelation yes that's coming from God but our interpretation our application of something is severely flawed in fact the Bible says we prophesy in part chapter 13 Dennis talked about it we prophesy in part we know in part that means if I think I'm hearing something from God I, I actually don't know It's not not authoritative, sure words from God. I actually don't know. So I need to have a little bit of humility to go, I I think this may be from God. It may not be, but I'm going to submit it to you. Because it could be infallible. Leads us to the sixth one. Prophecies can be wrong and must be tested. Look at verse 29 of chapter 14. Paul writes, Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said let the others weigh what is said the verb to weigh means to judge to test to evaluate why would paul be implying that we should be weighing testing and evaluating something that is authoritative scripture it's because it's on a different level because we prophesy in part so actually When people think that they're... When people are prophesying, actually, it's the responsibility of the hearer to be in control of what's happening, not the prophetic person. And this is a huge deal in prophetic ministry. If you think that you are giving a word of prophecy to someone else, you have zero control over the situation. You're actually speaking... And now it is the hearer And the community of faith That tests and weighs and decides Whether what you have said is true or not Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Because that's a problem In the charismatic community Well no, God said No, but the problem is The community gets to judge whether God said or not But I'm a prophet Well actually, but the community gets to judge whether you're a prophet or not But no, I'm pretty sure he said it to me That's fine But the community, the family, the elders Get to decide whether that's from God or not Are y'all seeing the distinction? I'm I'm trying to press this point Because I've seen a despising of prophecy Because we have allowed people to speak in such a way That they act like they are speaking authoritatively for God You're actually not in New Testament prophecy It is the community that has authority to say Whether what you have said is from God or not And that is a fundamentally significant difference between what people say about being prophets and what the New Testament teaches about being prophets. Does that make sense? I'm just, I'm pressing this point because it's very important that we understand. If you think you have heard something from God, guess what? You have zero control over the person you're speaking to you have zero control of the way that they respond to it. You have zero control of whether they receive it or not. I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how sure you think you are that that is from God. You are not in control. That's why First Corinthians thirteen is there, is because when someone is prophesying not in love but in arrogance and pride, they will puff up and say God is saying. Yes. But when someone goes, you know what? I want to. Pre- I want to. I want to prophesy, but I want to prophesy in love and in humility. I don't demand it my own way. I don't walk up to you and try to manipulate you by saying God said. Do you see the connection? Yes, sir. Prophetic people are servants. I think this is from the Lord. I'm not sure, but I'm submitting it to you. You get to do whatever you want with it. That is the best way to prophesy. But unfortunately many have come to despise prophecy because they see prophets with big chests that like to be seen and to manipulating to control fruit of the spirit okay how do we test these number 7 prophecies yield to scripture verse 36 and 37 i pointed this out when we were reading through Paul says something really interesting. He's claiming his own authoritative speech. So Paul is understanding that what he's writing has the authority and the command of Scripture. Paul, in some way, was understanding that this letter to the Corinthians wasn't just some letter inspired by him. It was inspired by the living God. It was going to be canonical, authoritative, all-sufficient Scripture. That's how Paul understood what he was writing. And he's like, listen, jokers. He didn't say that, but you know what I'm saying. Was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that has reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Follow me. Prophetic ministry yields to the authoritative, all-sufficient scriptures. So that whole issue of weighing and testing, he says, let two or three speak, and then let the others weigh and test it and evaluate it. That's why it's so important to know the Word, because when people start saying, I think the Lord is saying this, well, if you don't know the Word, you can't test what's being said. So it yields to the Word. So if someone says blah, 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 and it does not match Scripture, then I'm saying, I'm sorry, that's not. I don't care how gifted you are. That's not. Let me. Let, I'll, I'll tell a story that describes this. Sam was actually telling a story about this. There was, he was in... Um, Sam Storms served with Mike Bickle at Kansas City Vineyard that uh, then became IHOP in Kansas City, International House of Prayer. He was on staff. He was a teaching pastor. And uh, a very prophetic, strongly prophetic woman came and spoke and gave a word to the entire church. And this is what, roughly what she said. Um, she said, I just feel like right now that God is really lonely and he desires friendship with us and intimacy with us. Sam sat there. Uh Uh-huh. If We know systematic theology. God is not lonely. He has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not lonely. He doesn't need us. So he sat there, and and they called the woman aside later. And and what I love about this is he also was honoring. All of this is an honor. And he came to the woman, and he said, listen, what you said, we, we really appreciate you sharing what you said, I have a sense that maybe what you were trying to communicate is that God really wants to be with us. He loves us and desires us. That's the heart of what you said, but when you said that he's lonely, really, that's not what Scripture teaches. And she was like, actually, you know what? She received the correction. She goes, you know, that was my heart. I just spoke that because I just got caught up and I spoke this thing that was actually not what the Lord was saying. Are y'all seeing that that interplay? But there was honor between the two of them because people who know the word are are listening and going, I want to receive what you're saying. I want to test it, weigh it, judge it. And then I'm gonna take you aside and I'm gonna say, I feel like, and it was elders that were around her and said, I feel like that this doesn't match what scripture says. And she received it. So, Do you see that interplay? I think that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Her heart was in the right place, but what she said actually needed to be corrected. And so the next week, she came up, Sam came up, and they explained to the congregation what was going on. I think that's such a healthy approach towards the gift of prophecy. Yields to scripture. Finally, prophecy functions in evangelism as a sign that God is present and among his people. There's a really confusing spot here and I don't have really time to completely address it but I just want to explain what's going on two things let's jump down to um, verse 24 of chapter 14 so Paul is envisioning if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters he is convicted by all he is called to account by all the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face he will worship God and declare that God is really among you so the gift of prophecy is actually perceived here as being used in evangelism. That people are prophesying and the person who doesn't know Jesus is sitting there going, they're talking about me. Like I, that, the, the secrets of my heart are disclosed. There's a story of Charles Spurgeon preaching and as he's preaching, he, he points to a man. Not Dave, by the way. Points to a man. <laughs> and he says, you sir... Uh, work as a sh- at a shoemaker's shop. You've stolen money from the cash register. You need to return it because what you've done is a sin. And the guy is like, and actually Spurgeon doesn't even doesn't even realize he's point. He's just saying it. He's prophesying. They they recorded that guy as going home, returning the money, and the next Sunday is like, do I go back up there? I mean, what if this guy points out more sin in my life? Like, what is happening? What should I do? And he feels led to go, so he goes to church and he encounters Jesus and comes to faith in Christ. And, and history tells us that happened to Spurgeon all the time. He would just be, he would be saying that and pointing at somebody, not, not like looking at them, but just pointing, saying something. And people are coming to faith because the secrets of their hearts are being disclosed. Do you see? See how beautiful. Now this whole sign issue he says in here very strangely about tongues and prophecy. Verse 20, 21. By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. It's a really confusing phrase. but So if you're thinking about where this original text come for, comes from, he's talking about the Babylonians coming and it being judgment against the people of Israel, the people of Judah. And the prophecy is such that when you hear people of foreign languages, a language you don't understand, that is a sign of judgment against you. He's talking about the people of God. He's saying, You haven't obeyed me. So when you hear people speaking in a language you don't understand, understand this is judgment against you. That's what he's referring to. So what he's saying is, when an unbeliever walks in who needs Jesus, who needs to understand the gospel, who needs intelligible speech, and everybody is talking in tongues and they don't understand what they're saying, that's a sign of judgment against this person because that person can't come to faith in Christ because there's nothing intelligible about what's happening. Does that make sense? So it's a negative sign for unbelievers. So there's just tongues all over the place and an unbeliever walks in. They need to hear the content of the gospel. Then he says, it's a sign, prophecy then is a sign for believers. It's a positive sign, so a negative sign for tongue for. Tongues is negative for unbelievers. Prophecy is positive sign for believers because when, when we're gathered here and then someone speaks and an unbeliever comes to faith, what does that do to the body? We're so built up. We're like, God is here. God is present. This is a sign that God is moving in our midst, that prophecy is moving. So that's an explanation. It's a really weird passage, but that's an explanation of what's going on there. It's a sign for us that God is in our midst and God is moving. Okay. That's a lot. I want to do something. Sam Treese, would you come up here? Would you welcome Sam (laughs) Treese? Sam is nervous about this. And if you tell me you're nervous about something, it makes me want to do it more. (laughs) Sam is is one of the more prophetic gifted people in our church. Oh, you need this for notes? Just in, okay, okay. Sam is one of the more gifted people in our church, and so I just wanted to talk with Sam and let her share a little bit. I'm giving a lot of, like, biblical stuff, but the practical, how would we pursue the gift of prophecy? So I just want to ask Sam a couple questions. So Sam, what does pursuing prophecy, what does that mean, and what does that look like?
1: Um, it really just starts simply with your heart posture, a heart posture of yes, Lord. It is a simple opening up to receiving his love because you can't give something that you haven't received. And it is just a yes posture. It is, I'm willing to be uncomfortable on a stage. (laughs) I'm willing to be uncomfortable in an awkward silence, um, for your glory. Mm.
0: And when did you get interested in the gift of prophecy?
1: Um, it was a couple years ago. I felt like the Lord was like wooing me with prophecy and just like telling me all the things he loved about me through other people. And I was like, I don't know what this is. I learned more about prophecy. And I went through like this really intense season of seeking out places where I could receive. And He, I knew he would be there. And I knew I just was like, you will talk to me tonight. Um, And so I went through that season of receiving. And then I was like, well, I don't want to sit here with this anymore. It's time to move. He just was like, it's time to move with it. And so I started seeking opportunities to give it as we were going. I'm a mom. I have four children. I homeschool. Um, They receive a lot of (laughs) that from me. Um, A lot of that's done within the walls of my home and my small group. Um, and then as I go through my week.
0: Anything else that you want to share with the group?
1: Um, Yeah, I just feel like he really, um, one, he's thick in here today, so thank you, Lord, for your presence, Mm -hmm. and we ask more, Holy Spirit. Um, He just really wants all of the heart of what we're saying today is love. Mm. All he's trying to do is to get to your heart to tell you how much he loves and adores you. That is why he's coming to speak to you. That is why he's giving a friend a word for you. He is wooing you. He wants to be intimate with you, and he Mm -hmm. wants to go deeper. He's Mm -hmm. bigger than you think he is, and if we put him in a box, like, we are the ones who are trapped. He's not trapped in that box. So just, like, break that all down, Lord. Break the chains Mm -hmm. off and free us from that, and we just give you our yes.
0: Awesome! Awesome! Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Hey, Sam. I'm gonna invite Mark and and the band back up. And while they're coming up, um, when I read that passage, First Corinthians 14:1, it shook me. I'm a Bible guy. I'm a word guy. <laughs> when I saw that's an imperative command. It's not a suggestion. It's a mandate. It's mandatory. Uh, that really shook me and what it caused me to do is to really pursue so I start. I probably read 50 books on spiritual gifts 25 of them at least were on hearing God's voice and prophecy and if you want that list of books I will give it to you because I, I started saying okay how do I pursue this how do I grow in this and one of the books that I read was by Jack Deere by the way Jack is going to be and be here in March he's going to come and speak very excited about that first weekend in March I read a book by Jack called Surprised by the Voice of God. And this is a story that was in that book. This is what he writes. He was meeting uh, with 10 to 12 year old kiddos in sort of a children's church thing. And he had this other prophetic guy with him, and he's doing his professorial thing. And the prophetic guy just begins to speak. He looks at a young girl. He says, What's your name? She goes, Julie? She was like scared. Julie was not so sure that she wanted someone giving her a prophetic word in front of 200 of her peers. Julie, while Jack was speaking, I had a vision for you. It was Tuesday night, that's five nights ago. You went to your bedroom and you shut the door. You were crying. You looked up to heaven and you said, God, do you really love me? I have to know, do you really love me? God didn't say anything to you on Tuesday night, Julie. He sent me here tonight to tell you he really loves you. He really loves you. He also told me to tell you that the trouble going on around you is not your fault. He didn't tell me if he is going to change the trouble, but he wants you to know that you aren't the cause of it. Then later, Jack comes up to this girl, wanting to like, confirm because she needs to test this word, right? Wanting to confirm with her. Jack called the young girl over and he said to her, Julie last Tuesday night Were were you in your bedroom Crying really hard And did you ask God If he really loved you She said yes And he said Are your parents Fighting right now She said yes Are they talking about Getting a divorce She said yes And he says Do you think That it's your fault She looked at me Smiled and said Not anymore That, when I read that passage I wept for 15 straight minutes I'm not exaggerating and I told Jesus whatever you need to do I want to be involved in that kind of ministry for me that was earnestly I want to see the church built up I want to see individuals that I'm in front of built up and encouraged that God would drop something into my mind and I could share it in such a way that it would, they would experience the love of the Father through the service of one who's saying, I just, I just want to do what you're calling me to do, Jesus. So the band's going to play. Um, I'm going to invite Sam to come back up here. I'm going to invite anybody who wants this gift, the gift of prophecy, or wants to grow further in this area, I would invite you to either come up front or just stand where you are. And I've got folks around that are going to lay hands on people as we close out. So if that's you, and you want this gift, i to grow in this gift. Just stand right where you are. And we'll have individuals come and just lay hands on you. Now I encourage you to just have a posture of receiving. Just have, open your hands out like this. And just ask the Lord. Ask the Lord that He would give you this gift. He would help you to understand it. Help you to walk in it. Help you to speak the very words of encouragement and consolation and comfort and upbuilding. these my brothers and sisters I ask Holy Spirit that you will come and rest on them. I ask Holy Spirit for these that are, are asking, Ask Spirit would you give them the gift of prophecy I bless you with ears to hear Jesus more clearly than you have heard him before I bless you with the very heart of Jesus for those that are around you bless you with dreams in the night. I ask Jesus that you would speak so clearly to these, my brothers and sisters. Father, I ask for our church family, I ask that this will be the place be a place that speaks with humble hearts, that speaks what you are showing for the building and consolation and encouragement of this body. I ask that you have blessed this church family with speech that is seasoned with the glory of Jesus and the humility of Christ. I pray that you'll make this place a prophetic place here at MCC. And I bless you with courage. Courage to approach and to speak what you're hearing. Father, we thank you for this gift. I thank you for your presence here, Jesus. I ask that you make this a prophetic place. We are your sheep who hear your voice, who follow you, Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Help us to speak in such ways that reflect and honor you and build up and do not tear down. you this church that we will build this church upon your love Jesus we'll build this church upon your word and we say that you deserve all the glory and the praise and the honor that is due your name and all God's people said amen if you're still receiving feel free to receive but if not you are dismissed be at peace be at peace you are dismissed